Bible class of the Boonville Church of Christ. My telephone says it's services. You know, that's one of the things that we we provide is that we not only live stream, but... The Boonville Church of Christ live stream we're so glad that you're here we're glad if you're visiting with us if you're our honored guest if you are watching on live stream or if you're listening on the phone we welcome you as well sympathy is extended to uh, Julius Lee Wells and uh, Patrilla Maddox in the death of their niece Tommy Sue Whitaker in Texas now, Tommy Sue is also Wilda Pounds, Bob Maddox, and my first cousin. We've got several people in the Tupelo Hospital, an elder and two deacons. We, Tommy Barragona uh, is in uh, the hospital following medical procedure this morning, uh, and he's scheduled to come home tomorrow. Lynn said they were still working trying to control his blood pressure. Uh, Brother Ronnie Johnson uh, is in the Tupelo Hospital having difficulty with another toe, and he has asked that we remember him in our prayers. And Brother J.T. Beard is probably in surgery right now. They're uh, working on the place where they operated on his back before. He has uh, some infection there, and they're trying to clear that up. We also need to remember Martha and Harold Eaton. Both are having uh, health difficulties. I know Pat Green is uh, undergoing chemotherapy. Mary Jane Hornberger is uh, having cancer treatment. We need to remember John Roten. We need to remember Kevin Cook and his mom. His mom, Audrey, fell last night at Landmark, had uh, hip surgery at the Tupelo Hospital uh, and is currently con in the Tupelo Hospital following that surgery. We need to remember Sister Claudia Scarborough, who is uh, recovering from the injuries to her vertebra in her neck. And we've been asked to remember Ruth Staley. That's Anita's mom. She's going to be having extensive tests next week, and we need to remember her in our prayers. Tomorrow will be Food Pantry Day. Uh, the uh, Food Pantry item this week is canned meat. Uh, the Food Pantry will be open tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and will stay open until 10.30 tomorrow. We are so glad that you are here. With this extensive sick list, I think it would be only appropriate if we began with a prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings and one of those greatest blessings father is our uh, blessing of being able to call on you to help those who are in need especially those of our loved ones who are sick we pray that you would be with brother tommy barragona and that you would help him to have a complete and full recovery we pray that you'd be with brother ronnie johnson and we pray that the treatment that is, uh, he is having for his foot would be successful and that he could be healed and be able to restore to, to good health. We pray for Brother J.T. Beard and the success of the current surgery 
We, we pray that the infection that is there would go away and that he could be healed and, and back in your service. We pray for Sister Brenda Dawson in her recovery from surgery. We pray for Sister Pat Green in her chemotherapy and Mary Jane Hornberger as she fights cancer. And we pray that you would strengthen and improve the health of Brother John Roten, improve the health of uh, Kevin Cook. We pray that you would be with his mother, Audrey, and help her to recover from her hip surgery. We pray for healing for Sister Claudia Scarborough, and we pray for Anita's mom, Ruth Staley. We pray that the test that she's going to be going through would define exactly what issues are there and that all of them will be treatable and that she could be restored to health. We ask your blessings upon the Boonville congregation and upon our class tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Let's sing a song together. 527. 527. Shackled by a heavy burden. touching our lives in such a way 
as to make us whole. Well, since we've already had our prayer, I just feel like we should embark upon our journey. How does that sound? We are continuing our study of what it takes to make a great church. And I hope that you have already set your mind to be a part of what builds the Boonville Church into a great church. Now tonight, I want us to see ourselves as being those people who purposefully give. I hope that 50% of you didn't just turn me off. (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, people just have this negative idea about giving. But I want you to understand that Jesus said a lot about giving. In fact, it isn't just Jesus. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about the importance of giving. And it isn't just about your bank account. It's really about the whole of you. Here's what I know. If, if we want to we make a difference in this world in terms of evangelism, if we want this church to grow then there has to be a restoration in us, a a movement, if you will, to restore the grace of liberal giving. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about you. The Apostle Paul addressed it that way when he was talking to those Corinthian brethren who, for uh, many intents and purposes, were the example to us of what a giving church looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14, Paul says, I seek not yours, but you. Now, I love the way he put that. He did not say, I've come looking for your stuff. So give it to me, you know, come on, let's give and and let's get some money together to do this work. No, he says, that's that's not my approach at all. I'm not here seeking yours, your stuff. I'm here seeking you. Now, here's something that I believe is true. I hope by the time we're finished, you'll believe it too. In fact, you'll believe it so strongly that you'll become an example of it. And that is... We don't need to push people to give. We don't need to have rallies in order to try and fire people up to open up their checkbooks. And I have to constantly remind people they ought to give on the first day of the week. I really believe that if we have the people have their heart then the giving will just come along with it. Because the implication of this passage is, I don't have to seek yours, because if I have you, and that is on the Lord's behalf, then I have all that you are, right? Not just your person, but God's expecting all that not only we are, but all that we have. That will be employed for the kingdom of God. If, if that works, 
which I think biblically that's what's supposed to work, then we don't ever have to worry about money. In fact, I don't like to talk about money very much. Not because giving's unimportant. No, I don't mind talking about giving. I just don't like talking about money. Because no matter how you address it, you tend to put limitations on people. You put limitations either on their spiritual growth or you put limitations and caps on what they might otherwise be predisposed to giving. Here's an important goal to keep in mind as we start our study tonight. And that is, as far as giving goes, we have a great example of giving. It's not just the Corinthian church. It's Jesus himself. If I could learn, wow, in so many ways, to follow in the steps of Jesus, I'd have a lot of things as they ought to be. But tonight, just thinking about giving itself, whether it is giving myself or of myself, if I could just walk in his steps, if I could just give like Jesus gives, then understand that that kind of giving or that level of giving is a sacrificial kind of gift. Now, tonight... I'm going to start by sharing with you what I believe are 10 golden truths about purposeful giving. Some of these things you will readily recognize, and others maybe not so much. But I hope as we think about them together that they'll impress upon us not just the importance of having money in a church treasury, but of all of us in the body of Christ giving ourselves and all that we have to the cause of Christ. You understand, I hope, that the New Testament church was a giving church. It was that from the very beginning. Acts chapter 2, you probably know of as being the place where we have the history of of the beginning of the church. The gospel is preached for the first time on the day of Pentecost following the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there you have it, gospel being preached, people responding to that gospel. In the very last verse of Acts chapter 2, we find out that the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. What a great day. But on that day, there were some people who, I'm assuming their intention is to stay in Jerusalem for a while. You know, they've come for the holiday, but now that they've obeyed the gospel, they want to grow in their knowledge. And so they're going to have to stay here in Jerusalem for a while. So there is a need that develops. In Acts chapter 2, the very same chapter... In verses 44 and 45, we find out that once that need was identified, that some folks who were already living there in Jerusalem sold their possessions. And then they were giving those possessions for the benefit of those who were actually in need. I love that. But what's beautiful about that heart of giving that was demonstrated on that very first day 
is that that same attitude, that same spirit of heart and mind, that Christian desire to give continued on. There's another section of Scripture a few chapters later that gives us even more detail about this commitment that they were making. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we learn several things here. First of all, the predominant activity was, we're going to study the Word of God. But trouble arose in the form of need. And so those who had possessions saw a need that exists. They sold possessions in order to meet that need. The Bible describes that as a grace that was being extended. And then we find out, wait a minute... Yeah, the whole church was doing that, or many people were doing that, but let's just narrow that down. Look at an individual, an individual by the name of Joseph, who is known by the apostles. They even gave him a nickname, Barnabas. This guy had a piece of land. He sold it. He laid it at the apostles' feet. What's unique about him is he was a Levite. And the likelihood is he didn't possess land because it was handed down to him from his father. Levites didn't receive land like that. He had to buy that land. That was something that once he had it, if he gave it away, he'd never get that back. Not like many of the Jews who could sell land or lease it and know that eventually it's going to come back into their possession. Here was somebody who made a sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. Another statement, and I mentioned that the church in Corinth is a great example We'll be using some snippets out of a couple of those books in order to kind of build that idea up. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 at verse 3, we find out that here were some people who, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, were freely willing to give. Now, Paul used the example of the Macedonian brethren to encourage the Corinthian brethren to do the same thing. So he makes that mention here in verse 3. What is it about those Macedonian brethren, Ken? Well, notice carefully it says, now these people are going to give, but it was according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability that they were freely giving. Understand that these brethren were poor, They were going to give, and they were willing to give. They were happy to do it. But he says that, you know what, there was a need that arose that probably outstripped what normal people would give beyond the ability, but they were glad to do it. Now, what we're going to learn a little bit later is that if I'm giving to God's work, don't you worry about outstripping or outgiving God. 
God is going to bring the blessings to make the gift a possibility. You will never, and you might as well just write this down somewhere, you will never in your lifetime outgive God. That early church, that church was a giving church. Many of them even beyond what they thought they were capable of doing. But I mentioned that in the early church, it was a grace. And so let's just dwell on that idea for a moment. Giving is a grace. In fact, it's the very epitome, very definition of what the word grace is. The word grace literally means a gift. It's an unmerited favor. So I'm giving. I don't expect it to come back to me. You don't have to do a tit for tat in this relationship. I give because it's the right thing to do. That was the attitude of giving in the first century church. Again, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, at verse 3, we were reminded of what those Macedonian brethren did. At verse 5, it's also interesting that here they're giving a gift that is special to them. The text says, here's what really drove them to give beyond what they were willing. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Stop and think about that for a minute. The first thing I'm going to do in my relationship to the church itself is, well, I'm going to be in the church because of what I've made this connection with the Lord. So my first my first allegiance is to the Lord. When it came a time to give, most people didn't think, oh, I got to give to them. No, wait, stop. That's not it. My first thought and my first inclination is, I'm first going to give myself to the Lord. Then when I give myself to the Lord, I ask myself, is the Lord concerned about this issue right here? The answer is yes. Here are some brethren who are needy. The Apostle Paul representing a whole group of them. So I've given myself to the Lord. I ask myself, how can I be a blessing? How can I give to the Lord? Well, I've given myself. The Lord has a need over here. And that need is to satisfy the wants or, 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 or the, the genuine need of those who are suffering. And so I'm going to, in response to the Lord's gift to me of my salvation, now I love him and I'm going to give myself to him. Now, because I've given myself to him, here's something that's important to him. I'm going to give myself to that too. No one had to come along and badger me to do it because the first thing that I did was give myself to the Lord. Now, since that's something important to the Lord... You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to beat me over the head with a Bible and threaten me with some kind of, of punishment from God if I don't do it. I'm going to do it freely and willingly. In fact, I might do like those Macedonians did and give beyond what I even think I'm able to do simply because this is for the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord. It's going to benefit this cause. Well, that's His. So I care about that. That's important to me. I freely give it. You don't have to twist my arm. And then, also in verse 7, just to kind of complete the idea, really in verses 6 and 7, but he says, look, as regards you people in Corinth, I I want you to see what they did and what instigated it, and then I want you to abound in this grace also. Now, what does it mean to abound in something? 
you probably already know. It doesn't mean just kind of be it or to fill up with it. It's a sense of overflowing. I want to abound in this grace. One grace among many graces, but especially this one, he says, I want you to abound in this grace, the grace of giving. Now, I'd love to stop right there, but I know that oftentimes we think, well, I'm giving, especially like on the first day of the week, because it's a command of God. So I'm going to give for that reason. Uh, okay, we, we kind of take oftentimes an Old Testament track on New Testament urgency in Scripture. For instance, the Scripture says, do this or do that. And we say, okay, I must do that. Okay, yeah, you must do it because the Lord told you to do it, but He's not wanting you to do it because He feels like He's forcing you to do it. He believes, the Lord does, that He already has your heart. And He does have our heart. Yes? No. Yes? Okay. Eight of us think that that's true. I <laughs> know. I know you do. So we believe that our heart is the Lord's. Well, if, if the Lord has our heart, then when I look at, at these statements, like the one I'm going to direct you to with regard to a, a command of the Lord, is 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. That on the first day of the week, that they were to lay by in store or to set aside, some translations have. Well, what am I doing? I know that on the first day of the week, I'm going to do that. I'm going to lay something aside and I'm going to give as I have profited or I, as I have benefited personally. But here's the thing. If it's what the Lord wants me to do, he didn't even really have to couch it that way. You do this on the first day of the week. Really, the whole implication there is, I want to know, Lord, when can I do this? You know, I want to help. I want to give. Because you have my heart. And the Lord says in this passage, well, you do that on the first day of the week. And the reason that I want you to do that from Paul's perspective then in this is, well, it, it gives a regular form to it. And as we're going to see a little bit later, it is designed to be a purposed activity, which means I plan for it. And so on the first day of the week, I want you doing this. He concludes by saying, because I don't want you making those uh, gatherings when I come. Now, wait a minute. Why would he say that? Well, because this was going to have been a year-long process. Paul does not want this to happen. I do not want it to be that when I finally come, everybody's like, oh, oh Paul's here. What have, I, what have I got? My, let me see. Have I got anything in my pocket here? I could get, oh yeah, here you go. No one would ever do that, would they? I'm thinking about, you know what I'm thinking about. Nobody would do that. Pass the plate and just grab a dollar out of their pocket. No, because we've been planning this. I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. And he has my heart. So since he has my heart, boy, I can't wait for that plate to come along here because I've already been thinking about this. I've probably planned it not just, not just the first of the week after I finished the last one. I've probably been planning this for months. I know what I'm going to be giving because I am giving out of the abundance of the blessings that the Lord has already given me. Yeah, it's a command. 
But for those who have a heart for the Lord or have given their hearts to the Lord, a command is nothing more than just a little nudging of when to do something, because I'm already in gear to do it. Lord, just, you know, here am I, send me kind of attitude. And then I also know that when you give, you're giving out of stewardship. Did you know that? That you are a steward of the Lord? Now, a steward is someone who has possessions, but they're not their own possessions. They own this, they, they're owned by somebody else. So if I'm a steward, it means I have possessions, but really they're not mine. I'm going to use them in a way that will benefit the one who really owns the things. Now, I think this is pretty important. Whatever it is that I have is not mine. God gave it to me. You a multimillionaire? You know where that came from? That did not come from your hard, sweating tears. It did not come from your inheritance. God chose to put that in your possession. And let me tell you something. He can take it away just as quickly if he wants to. So whatever it is that you have, God has put that in your possession. You, as his child, have become a steward of that. Now, here's the rule of stewards from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It is required. That means you have to do this if you're a steward. Anybody here a steward? Okay, same six, seven. You are all stewards. So, if you're a steward, it is required that a steward be found faithful. A faithful steward. He's not just talking about your Christian faithfulness to the Lord. He's talking about your stewardship, right? That's the topic under consideration. So if I am a faithful steward over the things that God has given into my care, then that means I am going to be of the mind that whatever is important to the Lord with regard to these things, I'm going to execute just like in the first century that we saw a moment ago. A need, a need arose. There were some people that had maybe some cash they can hand. Other people didn't have cash, but they had property. And so they sold it. Did everybody in the church have property that they could sell? No. No. In fact, some of those members are the ones who are needy. Not everybody had something to give. But those who did have something that could satisfy the desire of the Lord to take care of those who were displaced, they did whatever was necessary. Nobody had to badger them or threaten them. They just, because the Lord has their heart and they want to please the Lord, they first give themselves to the Lord and then to us, because they have that mindset, they just, they naturally and automatically would look to do whatever's necessary. Well, wait a minute, Lord. I'm a steward. I've got this. I'll give it. Don't have to threaten anybody. Don't have to make them feel bad. It's just natural for the child of God, one who's received the grace of God, to be gracious themselves. See a need? Take care of it. I know that giving is something that is going to help us implement the plan of God to save the world, to take the gospel into all the world. Here's the thing. It costs money to go into all the world. I'm sorry, I wish it didn't, but it does. 
It costs money to, to get an automobile and drive to another community. It takes money to buy materials to do Bible studies. It takes money to even buy a Bible. You say, well, Ken, we got these Bibles over here for $5 a piece. Great, wonderful buy, but guess what? That's $5 every time there's a Bible sent out there. Somebody has to pay for that. Who's going to do that? I'll tell you who's going to do it. The Lord's going to do it. Ken, how's the Lord going to pay for that? (laughs) You following me? The Lord's going to pay for it through us, through you. You say, well, I heard about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so that donated $10,000. Great. I hope God gives them $100,000 in response to that. You know why I feel that way? Not because I want them to have $100,000 and get rich and sit back and watch TV all day. But because here was somebody that had a heart for the Lord that said, I'm going to give that money and it's going to do something for the Lord. Well, then by all means, give them 10 times that much because I'm pretty sure they'll do what? They'll give that back. And then I'm praying the Lord will give them that much more. You say, well, Ken, if if the Lord gave me a million dollars, I'd give him $100,000. Okay. Well, if God gives you $100, will you give him $10? Well, Ken, now $10... Stop that. Right? I'm a steward. God puts it into my possession. Not so I can sit back and spend it on myself. He's given it to me so that I can execute his will. I I know that when we give, it's good for us. Jesus said so. Did you know that? Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. And by the way, Paul is talking about how he works for a living while he's preaching the gospel. And he says, you know what? My doing that has been an example to you to show you how to care for the weak. But my anthem is something that I remember the Lord said. And I guess the Lord said this either to him by revelation or maybe he had been talking to one of the other apostles and they had said the Lord said it because I don't find it recorded anywhere else. But you know it probably better than any other thing that Jesus said. And that is this. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why is that? It's more blessed to give because I'm channeling God's blessings to help somebody else. And if my mindset is I want to be a person of grace for the Lord, I want to be be sharing as a steward of the Lord with those who are in need, then absolutely, absolutely, it's going to be more blessed for me to give than to receive. Because, well, have you thought of it this way? If I'm the one who's receiving in this economy, in this statement, then actually I'm the one in need. Isn't that right? If you're receiving according to what Jesus is teaching, I must be the one who was displaced and needed brethren to help me. It is more blessed to give. Why? Because God is showering blessings through you. He didn't give them to you just to hoard up somewhere. He gave them to you so you can bless that person who's the recipient of that gift. I love that. Because I think so many times when I read the Old Testament scriptures, how God blessed this one and God blessed that one, that's wonderful. But God is able to bless through us. We become a part of the work of God. That is, man, that is so special. 
You know that when you give, you are a sower. That is, you are planting things. 2 Corinthians, again, this time chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why do you give? Give because the commandment to give. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. I must... Okay. But that's not how God wants you to give. God wants you to give willingly, purposefully. And that word purposeful means that I have made an an intention to do so. I have planned it. Literally, it means to take that out first. Think about that for a minute. I'm setting that aside as the primary first fruits of the things that have come into my life. Boy, that's Old Testament biblical right there. So when I'm giving, I'm giving with with a definite mind that what I'm doing is I'm, I'm putting myself in the will of God and I'm purposing to do it. I'm going to do it on the first day of the week because he said that's, that's when I want it collected. But I've already planned to do that because my heart, my heart again is with the Lord. And I want to say it this way. I, I, I've kind of run around in my mind exactly how I wanted to say this, but really what I want to indicate to you is that when you do that, when you do that, you are testifying to something. You are saying, it's in God that I trust. I hope, there are, I'm hearing it kind of, I think, that in a bunch of brains in here, you're going, ding, 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 ding. Did that happen to you? I don't know. I hope it did. But that dinging sound is the connection that you're now making to your dollar bills that have printed on them, in God we trust. It's ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Because I I know what the original intention was. Every time you brought out that money, you'd be reminded, wait a minute, I don't trust this money. I trust God. I don't trust this money way back in the day that was backed by gold or silver, or today in fine print, you're just backed by good faith in the United States government. Yeeks! But I'm not trusting that dollar bill, or that 20, or that 50, or that 100, whatever it is. I still trust God. So many people are banking electronically now, I guess they don't even look at their money. And now we don't use change, so that whole in God we trust slogan We don't see very much. But I'm telling you that whether you see that printed on your currency or not, that still should be the fact. I don't trust in my material things. I trust in the Lord. And here's the thing. Let me show you how much, right? Let me show you how much I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord so much that I'm willing to, as what the Macedonians do, They gave beyond what they were able. Willingly so. When we give, whatever we give, how great a portion ever we give, we are saying, in effect, I'm not trusting my money. Wait a minute, my money's gone. How am I going to stop? I'm not worried about that. I'm going to meet the need. God's going to take care of 
Well, God's going to take care of me just like He took care of that need right there. And if I get to the place where I've given so much to help others that I'm now needy, well, why would I worry? Because the church is all about doing what? Helping those who are needy. Yay! I love it. Thank you, Lord, for thinking of me. No, we're not thinking of ourselves. We are thinking otherward. I've given my heart to the Lord, and that's what He's concerned about. We should never worry where it's going to come from when we're doing the will of God. Absolutely not. And then, I think, you know, you know that the standard of giving is like... If you're thinking standard is medium, kind of in the middle, that's not it. The standard of giving is total. God's standard of giving is you give it all. Whoa, wait a minute. What happened to our discussion of tithing and 10% and all that? Forget it. God's expectation of you and me is that you give Him everything. Wait, what? Yes, Mark chapter 12. 41 to 44, you know that story. Jesus is sitting opposite the treasury and he's watching how people are putting their money in. Oh, the rich come in there, they dump in all this money and everybody that sees that are like, whoa, what a giver, that's amazing. But along comes a widow, no fanfare whatsoever. She drops in two mites. Isn't anybody ooing and on about her? In fact, most likely the money that's going in that box is for the poor. That money is probably there to help somebody like her. But she gives two mites. Jesus draws attention to her for his disciples and says, you know what? This woman right here, not the rich, this woman right here has given more than everybody else combined. And here's why. Because she gave all that she had. She gave her entire livelihood. Would you do that? I hope you're thinking in your mind, yes, I would do that. In fact, not only do I do that, that's me. That's my life. My life is the Lord's life. When the Lord needs it, I give it. Can you not saying I have to empty my bank account this week and put it in the collection plate Sunday? No, I'm not, I didn't say that. But you still need to give the Lord everything that you are and everything that you have. And when the Lord needs it, when He calls for it, as a good steward, what are you going to do? Give it. Going to give it. Don't even have to hesitate about it. Because I've given my heart to the Lord. It, it, it is so tricky then that you know that in the judgment... One of the basic considerations is what kind of giver we were. You say, wait a minute, I, I thought when I, when I faced judgment, it's going to be all about whether I was baptized. Well, that'll be part of it. Whether I'm washed in the blood of Jesus, sure. But did you know another component of it is about that heart we've been referencing all along? Was it really the Lord's? Matthew chapter 25, we'll not look at the whole section, but just a small section, verses 35 and 36. Here's what the judge says, 
you know what? I'm taking you. You're coming to heaven. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Lord, when, when did we do all those things? And as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my disciples, my brethren, you did it. Well, to whom? You did it to me. When you're giving, when you're caring for somebody, when you're looking after the needs of the church, who are you really serving? The Lord. The Lord. That's the answer. Let's think a little bit about purposed giving. And I want to go back to that... One minute. I want to go back to that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, where we're sowing... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's you. The Apostle Paul used the Corinthian church as an example of that. And when you read through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what you will discover. These people had committed themselves, had purposed themselves, had set aside before anything else a contribution that was being collected on the first day of the week. They did that as a planning exercise for a year. They had planned the giving for an entire year. That's purposeful giving. I set my mind to do it. I've got my plan. I don't wait till Sunday to grab something out of my wallet, whatever's left over, and throw it in the plate. Or fold over a $1 bill a few times, make it look like three or four of them. That's not how I do it. I don't write a check for $100 so I can get the tax write-off and take $80 cash out of the plate. What I do is I plan, and then I execute that plan. Because I didn't just come up with that today. I've been working on it. I've committed myself to do this in order to help the work of the Lord. I'm using the Corinthian church because they all did it that way. They all had that mind to do it. And then, through the year, guess what God did? God did what God does. And He blessed them that whole year so that when the year was up, they would have what they had planned to give. Listen, when you plan, plan big. Plan big. Be audacious with your giving because God will help you meet that audacious plan. I promise you He will. I promise you not because I think I'm so smart. I promise you because I trust Him. And then, when that was finished and all that collection was taken, guess what? Those who needed support were supported. And then that serves now as an example to us of what purposeful giving is all about. Listen, you and I have a responsibility. We're serving God, we're serving the Lord, we've given Him our heart. When we give, we are blessing the kingdom of God. Let's set our minds and our hearts to do that. We don't have to have anybody twisting our arms or reminding us about a budget. Uh, the, uh, as a church, our elders ought to just kind of laugh at budget. Like, you know, well, yeah, we got this budget, but our church is such... Man, they see the needs that exist. They just, the, the money just pours in here. 
Why? Because we ask for money? No, we ask for hearts. People are committed to serving the Lord. Here's what I know about giving. Great giving builds great churches. That's pretty simple. Let's pray together, after which we'll let the parents go get their kids real quick, and then the rest of us can leave. Our Father, thank you for the blessing of this evening, for the study of giving, and Lord, our time just escaped us, have so many things to talk about, but we thank you, Father, for the blessings that you bring to our lives, not for us to hoard, but to share. And thank you for the blessing, the privilege, opportunity to share, and to demonstrate our love for you, and our gift to you through the benevolence toward others. Lord, we just pray that you'll bless this church, that it will grow as a result, as a result of hearts that are full of grace. And Lord, help us to be like the Corinthians were, a great example of what it is to be people in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen.